All right, everybody, welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of July 29th, 2021. This is Charles Hayne, writer at No Film School. I am here with Kath Tolentino, filmmaker. Hello. I am here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Edelman. Hello. We are going to be talking about how there is no career ladder in the film industry. We are going to be talking about Adobe joining the Blender Alliance and what that means for you. And in National Film School this week, we've got a question from Reddit which is, do you actually need to incorporate your short film with an LLC? That is this week on the No Film School podcast. All right, so our first subject on the podcast this week is, is there a career ladder in Hollywood? Does that even exist? And who are the people who are fighting to change it? There have been a couple of really good articles going around this week about the impossibility of the system as it stands. There was a really long article that I read and shared with a whole bunch of my friends about DSLA, the Democratic Socialists of America, LA, and their attempts at organizing in the Los Angeles area. But, you know, it's a bigger than just Los Angeles issue. Like the film industry is one in which there are simultaneously very few ladders to climb and entry-level jobs historically and definitely right now don't pay a living wage because the idea with the entry-level jobs is, well, you're doing it because you have this ambition and you're going to climb the ladder and you're going to get somewhere. And so you're willing to spend five years in your 20s working at poverty level in order to go somewhere. And you know, then a lot of people... I can't tell you the number of people I know who hit 30 and were like, wait a minute, there is no place, like there's no middle step on the ladder. Like either you win the lottery and you're at the top of the game or you just stay at these crushing work hours forever. It was really interesting to see the Hollywood Reporter sort of take on this story. I think it's a story that should be widely told because it is sort of a very true thing where, you know, I remember, and I've told this a dozen times, I remember the first time I was a script reader at Creative Artists and I stopped by, like I rode my bicycle there because I didn't want to have to park in Beverly Hills because that would have cost like half of what I got paid to read a script. Like every script I got, I, every script I read for creative artists was 50 bucks. And uh, I was doing all the math of like how many scripts I'd have to read to pay my $600 a month rent for the month. So I rode my bike down to creative artists and I went through the uh, assistance parking lot and it was all BMWs and Audis. And I didn't get wow. it. And I had to talk to my friend in LA and I was like, wait a minute, like I've seen those assistant jobs. They pay like 600 a week, which is like 2400 a month. Like how do you buy a BMW on 2400 a month? And my friend who'd grew up, grown up in LA was like, the assistants don't need that money. Like if you want to be an assistant at a big agency, you come from money. That's not a job for people who don't already have money. And I was like, I don't understand this at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super frustrating. I was just talking with I'm from LA, so I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> it did not surprise that, but yeah, go ahead, Kath. No, yeah, I was just talking with a friend about this the other day who's been working in big budget TV and film as an APOC for like five years, six years. And she wants to transition to development. So she, well, she's been working in the Bay Area, but she went down to LA to take some meetings to see if she could get like an entry level development job. And everyone told her, oh, you have to start in the mailroom. It's like, she has experience. She's been working in the industry for five or six years. There's no kind of like entry level job other than just like starting at the very bottom of the ladder. Um, it's just so mind blowing 
um, that there is no kind of like no easy way to transition from um, department to department and no, no one really supporting people. Yeah. It's very labyrinthian. Mm-hmm. Is that a word? Is yeah. Is that the right way? Um, it just sounded, yeah, it sounded weird the way I said it. I probably pronounced it wrong. I had the experience of deciding that I thought I would be good if I, I thought I might be good at development. And I thought that I would like to try that. And I'm fortunate in many ways, but one of the ways in which I've been fortunate is that I know people and I grew up here. So I grew up around people in the industry whose brothers, sisters, parents, you know, and are all in various places. So it wasn't impossible to get a meeting with somebody who was at a pretty big, who's head of a pretty big production company on a lot and like to help get advice. And I was really excited. Like I showed up thinking, you know, I had some stuff under my belt and I'd been in production for a while and I knew my way around things and I wasn't fresh, but and I thought like, hey, this could really like, like I thought I was potentially looking at an entry level opportunity in a field I wanted to explore, you know, another part of the entertainment industry. And I showed up and we talked and what I realized pretty quickly in the meeting was that it was really just a courtesy meeting to sort of lay the lay out what the world looked like from that perspective. And it was more like, like the kind of thing, the gist of it was like, yeah, man, it's tough. And I got really lucky because I was like you where I was doing XYZ as an independent producer. And then someone I knew kind of offered me a chance to do blank. And then I did that. And then the next, you know, it was like this kind of weird hop, skip and a jump on like stones across a river that you didn't know were there, but there's no way to repeat it. <laughs> like hearing it. And I was like, oh, there's no, cause the only thing they could say was like, I mean, you could work like you, you like Charles just laid out. They were like, you could work on the first rung. Like you could work a desk. And that means being like, you know, first rung assistant mailroom type thing at, you know, after all the things I'd done and where I was and not making a living wage. And also, as we all know, oftentimes those jobs, you work harder than many other jobs in terms of hours. Nobody is very appreciative. And oftentimes people are not very nice to you. And it just grinds you into sausage meat. And oftentimes, not always, correct me if I'm wrong out there, folks, but like if you've had a a different experience. But so it was kind of like, oh, you know, this was a time when I was like looking to make a move, but I wasn't looking to move to an assistant. You know, I'd, I'd been a PA, I'd been an assistant. Like, and that was very sobering. And I remember walking to my car on the lot, like having arrived thinking maybe I was going to have a chance at like an entry level job and then realize I should read a certain kind of entry level job. And then realizing it really wasn't that it was very disappointing. And it's case in point that there isn't a, the industry is not centralized in any way to build opportunities in areas for people starting out. There isn't really mentorship. There isn't really a, a, a routine to follow or a track or a ladder. Um, you just start off in the absolute bottom and hope that things kind of work out and you make enough friends that, or, or contacts that opportunities crop up. I will say though, as the caveat to all of that, that you can 
if you stick around, there is something of a, what I've observed is something of a war of attrition where people drop away and you make friends and they do find, as you know, people who hop, skip and jump, they will, you will kind of hop, skip and jump. So that does kind of happen, but. Yeah. But by then you've spent the first 10 years of your career making $35,000 and are like leagues behind where you need to be in terms of like economic stability. <laughs> yeah, no argument there. I mean, there's, it's not a viable path. This is the biggest... Charles, one of the first things we ever did together, I think before the podcast, we did a panel at NAB where they were talking about filmmaking and stuff. And we were just talking about how the only, the opportunities that exist are for people of a certain class and a certain race with certain advantages. It's very hard to to create those opportunities for other kinds of people. Well, and it's also one of those things of like, what if you just want to be an assistant editor? What if you just want to be a script like reader? What if you just like, why, why did none of those jobs pay enough where you could just live your life and do that job? Like there are all of these jobs that underpay because they all offer you the promise of, and then you'll climb the ladder and have a real career. But it's like, well, but how are you supposed to live in the couple of years you do that job? And like, why can't they all just pay enough that you live your life, especially because, you know, it's one thing if it's a small independent production company, because every small independent production company is just dying to survive. But what happens is that like huge production companies producing, you know, the number of people I know who work on highly successful reality TV shows we've all heard of that are paid poverty wages is insane. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. Like this isn't a passion project for anybody. This is content that people are, it's content. It's not like art. Art's the wrong word, but it's not something anybody is like, you know, nobody was like, I'm going to move to California and work on a reality show. Like, you know, you, you move, you, you dream of making these big emotionally affecting things and then you work in reality. I host a reality show. I'm not being that mean. It was fun to host a reality show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you discovery for that opportunity. I would totally do it again. It was super fun, but like, it's not the passion thing. It is the thing we do that should hopefully en- enable us to pay our bills. Like this is an industry where people, you know, People are making a ton of money off those shows. They're billionaires being launched off those shows. They should be able to pay everybody who works on them enough to pay rent. And like, it's not the film industry's fault that Los Angeles rent has become what it is. But like Los Angeles, New York, like these cities where media gets created, the, the cost of living is just so ridiculous. I'll never forget, I spent a year in St. Louis in between LA and New York because my wife and I fell in love with a house. It was so crazy because I worked in media while I was there. St. Louis has like three or four big production companies. They produce a lot of stuff. And I worked for a production company for a while there. And I was making a media living, but I was making it in St. Louis. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like by your 30s. Like I was like, oh, this is actually- Why didn't you stay? That sounds great. Well, we didn't know anyone. And we were in our 30s and didn't have kids. And everyone in St. Louis of our age had like 12-year-old kids. And then I got offered a 10-year track teaching job in Brooklyn. And 10-year track teaching jobs are the rarest thing on earth. And we have family in New York City. And, and, and you know, we had kids at 38, which is normal in New York and LA, at least partially because the cost of living is so high. Like having a kid at 27 is absolutely unimaginable because you just couldn't afford it. Whereas like everyone in St. Louis could afford it. And so they do. Um, St. Louis is great. Like if you don't, you know, if you're not tied down to any city, like there are, I think there's real opportunities to be had in all of those other cities. Like what Austin was 20 years ago, I think St. Louis could be now. The one thing that's also true is that most of the smaller markets are not good for ladder climbing. 
I rolled up in St. Louis and I'd already been coloring, you know, I mostly worked as a colorist while I was there. I'd been coloring for TBWA Day and, and Nissan and McDonald's and, and I had Ford spots on my reel. And so I had like top end color work. So I called a bunch of places in St. Louis and I was like, Hey, I'm a colorist from LA. I have all of these top credits. And they were like, yes, you can totally work with us. And it was great. And I did some Purina spots and it was super fun. That's a big brand in St. Louis. I don't know how long it would take to climb a ladder in the smaller markets. And from what I hear, the smaller markets, it's very hard to climb a ladder. If you want to get those national branded spots, if you want to get some indie features going, if you want to like climb rank, it's easier to do that in the bigger markets because there's more opportunities to take those leaps up. That's anecdotally what I hear from people is that the smaller markets tend to be wherever you are, you stay. It's funny because the way you describe like what happens in your 30s or the idea of that, that I think has probably vanished from a lot of people's ideas of their 30s in this country that it used to be the idea of what would happen. I think post-boomer, maybe post-Gen X, which I think you and I are kind of technically, Charles. I think that after those generations, it's just not realistic for the millennials and the Gen Zs. And and I think that that's sort of unfortunate and tragic, but like home ownership in this country, you know, like it just seems like these things are, we're not just talking about something that's plaguing entertainment. This is, this is a problem in our economy, mm. the vanishing middle class and stuff. But the entertainment industry or people who work in media, it's, it's sort of an extreme. And yeah, you can't, you can, the whole thing of like stick around, like there's a, there's a real, to stick around that and fight that war of attrition, there's a real cost in dollars that you have to find a way to figure out. Um, if it's other jobs that you're also doing, if it's sacrificing families, relationships, those kinds of things that that dreams, home ownership, those things that can't come in the cities you might live in. But I think that I really always come back to this because I came from a situation where I knew what was it going on because I grew up in LA and around the industry. And I couldn't find something like an apprenticeship. Like that seems to me that that's kind of the tragedy of the way it's set up is there isn't really enough, you know, what we do at No Film School, we try to provide the tools so you can try to be self-taught as much as possible. What film schools do is they try to train you, but they also try to introduce you to communities. So you'll make relationships and you'll grow and you'll experience a lot of different things and you'll be kind of set. For right, Charles, you'll be set. You'll come out, you'll know people, but you also have a whole bunch of skills you can rely on and try to trade. But what I wish the entertainment industry did better and media did better was create mentor opportunities to develop a career from like, not as an assistant, but like as an assistant plus actually training, like on-job training. And, and that to me would help people to identify, you know, I want to be an assistant editor. I want to be in camera department. I want to be, I want to learn in a camera department, like roles. The DGA used to have an AD thing. Do you, I think do they you, still do. Guys, they, yeah. Do yeah. they still have it? Mm-hmm. And, the, but, and it's great. The idea of it is perfect, but it's so hard to get it. Because yeah, it's, it's so super nepotistic, right? That's, <laughs> and, that's and that what too, I like every, Right. And so, and so many things are like, I like, one of my very good friends when I was in my early 20s, when we were all kind of starting out and looking at stuff, he had great connections and all it got him, I've said it before on the podcast, was it got him an office PA job. Mm-hmm. And all that got him was other office PA jobs. And mm-hmm. it just ground him to dust. 
And then he was very well connected. He, he's his father was friends with someone who was like head of production at a major studio. So you couldn't have had a better, but all that it could do, all that nepotism got him was like that job that just like was his life for a long time. And then he was like, I can't have this be my life. It's just a combination of it's not enough money and I have no life. (laughs) PAs do not get treated well a lot of the time. That just sucks. Like that's not the way that, that's not going to help us build better movies and television shows and communities of create like it's just not going to make it a better business and a better industry it's going to make it worse in my opinion yeah i agree because then the people who are actually deciding what shows get made and you know buying those ideas are just the people who were rich enough to get there or the people who you know managed to like climb that ladder and then by luck someone asked them like hey what do you think about this but maybe aren't even necessarily like the people that have the best taste like there's this new show on netflix that's like a dating show where people are dressed up as like animals (laughs) oh yeah the furry show (laughs) this weird like and my friends and i saw this like we started watching we watched two minutes of this and i was like okay this is like proof that the that hollywood is broken like (laughs) who is making these decisions they're clearly the wrong people it's really heartbreaking i remember i was sitting in a i uh after grad school i went to like a panel of like folks who work in development trying to represent like diversity and development it was like sponsored by bfi and there were all these uh film school grads there in the audience and one of the people on this panel said you know, when you get that first entry-level job in our office, you are not there to come up with ideas. You're not there to talk to us. We don't want to hear from you. We want you to print stuff out and clean the kitchen. I'm just like, do that work. And then maybe if you do that work well, then you might get lucky. And I was like, I can't believe that this person in this environment is actually putting this forth as if it's like a good thing or, you know, just like that is, is asserting that this is like how the industry works. It's just super heartbreaking. You know, I would be willing to bet $50 that that person never did that on the other end of it. Like the people I know who actually spent two years, like taking out all of the trash and cleaning all of the bathroom in order to get a step up are never the people who 10 years later are like, you're here and you've got to get, you know, like ladder pulling, like I guarantee you, whoever gave that speech like went straight out of a fancy school to a like three levels up from that job because of a connection because, or they're just so traumatized that they're repeating back the trauma to the next person. Like, I agree with you, George, that this is like a huge civilization wide problem, like the end of the middle class. But like, I also think it's interesting to remember that entertainment in a lot of ways is ahead of a lot of other trends. My buddy John Miller likes to point out where he's like, everybody else in 2015 was talking about like gig economy and freelance and the future is freelance. And it's like, everybody works in film. Like that has been our life for 20 years now. I even recently learned the term multi-hyphenate, which like everybody now is like, I'm a podcaster slash writer slash, you know, like everybody has nine titles, like wherever you go. That was invented in California in the seventies, apparently as some sort of like union dodge so people wouldn't have to join the PGA and it was like tax related. And like, that's where we get the term. So like we invent it all, you know, we invent our dreams in Hollywood, but we also invent these weird work practices that then get co-opted to other places. And we also invent our nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) It's true though. 
Like I remember like as a PA feeling like I could do this for a while. Like I love, you know, I love being on set. It's super fun. Like meeting celebrities. Like I get to tell my friends that I worked on this cool show. And then five years later, I'm like still making the same money. And I'm like, what? I've made, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> like I wish someone, people would tell me like, you know, you're going to end up like, I don't know, falling behind isn't the right word, but like, yeah, now I'm 31 and like home ownership seems like totally impossible. And at the time I just didn't, it didn't register with me like how much that would affect my future. So anybody at the mid-level or the high level listening to this podcast, pay the entry-level jobs better. Yay. (laughs) Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, moving on to tech news. In tech news, Adobe has joined the Blender Alliance. And this is actually kind of crazy tech news. So a little bit of context for those of you who are not total tech weenies. So Adobe, you've definitely heard of. Even if you don't do anything in post, you use their like, apps to make PDFs. Like um, they make Premiere, they make After Effects, they make, I mean, those are the two big ones that everybody depends upon all the time and they're subscription cloud-based. Blender is a free like CGI tool. You know, when we get into CGI tools, there's a lot of nuances where people are like, oh, you're going to use this tool to build the model and this tool to shade the model and then this tool to rig the model. And we're not going to get into all of those nuances, but Blender is a completely free open source tool for model building. And then Adobe actually has a rigging tool, uh, Mixamoto, where you might rig and animate something you built in Blender. So you'd like build the model in Blender, you know, the same way you might build a bottle in Houdini or Maya, both of which cost money. But you can build it in Blender, which is f- totally free software. And it's interesting that Adobe, that has this paid model, is joining the uh, alliance of companies that support the development of Blender, which is a totally free open source platform. The exciting thing about it is that it's an acknowledgement. Uh, a lot of people are. There are a lot of people freaking out on the internet who are like, does this mean Adobe is eventually going to buy Blender and it'll have to pay a cloud service subscription? Almost definitely not. It seems highly unlikely. I think Adobe, who is very smart about these things and who's making a ton of money right now off their subscription services, rightly recognizes that like, if they bought Adobe and made people pay for it, they would lose their user base. Like When you're buying software, if, if like as a big company, when you're a big company and you buy a piece of software, you're not just buying the software, you're buying its user base. That's like part of your goal is you're like, oh, it already has 100,000 regular users and I'm buying them, right? If if Blender already has 100,000 regular users, but you do the math and you're like, we're going to lose 95,000 of them if we start charging, then you're only really buying 5,000 users and you don't really care about doing that because it's not worth it to you mathematically. And I think that the Blender community is one of the most notoriously like 
software should be free, open source out there. So I, I think Adobe is smart enough not to do that. What Adobe is really committing to doing is they would like Blender to continue to be free, which means that Maya and Houdini, the, the big paid competitors, which aren't owned by Adobe, will continue to have a free competitor, which is good for Adobe because it slows down the adaptation of their those other paid products made by other vendors. And Adobe is going to continue to work in a really sophisticated way with Blender so that you can animate things built in Blender so that you can bring Blender shapes into like 2.5D Plexus things and After Effects and stuff like that. So I think it's, you know, big companies are always doing things in their own best interests. Like they very seldom are uh, supporting these open source platforms out of good and like out of like pure, like we just think all software should be free. Obviously they don't, they charge for software. But I think this one is a, is a strategic move on Adobe's part that benefits us. If you're interested in getting into CG, you can just go download Blender for free and do a bunch of online tutorials and get good at it on your own. And you should consider doing that if CG is in your toolkit. And then you can bring the, the the cool 3D shit you build into Blender. You can bring it into Fusion from Resolve, which is free, or you can build it into Mixamoto, or you can build, you could uh, uh, bring some of it into After Effects and composite it and do all sorts of cool stuff with it. So I thought this is big news that people should be aware of. That like you know uh, Adobe getting behind Blender, which is good news, I think, for all of us. Yeah, for people in post, this is. Like this is a really positive integration, right? As opposed to having these things separate. Are you a big user of Blender? Can you tell me more about it? Never opened it once. <laughs> okay, well that's that's helpful. Well, can it looks have cool. a second? Can you tell me more about using it? What is its basic function? Like laying it out for everybody. So Blender is about building three D shapes, right? So if I want to have like a, a CGI robot, right? That is. A CGI robot, you know, if you think about, we did an interview with that guy who did like a $2 million like fighting robots movie. You need to build a 3D model of that robot and then you need to animate its movements. And those are two different things, right? Like building the 3D model of your robot is one step. And then animating it so that it's moving around is another step that's done in a different tool set. And then lighting it or shading it is usually done in a different tool set as well. So Blender lets you do the model building, which isn't really something you would do. Like Fusion is the tool I'm most familiar with. In Fusion, I would bring in a model, you know, and frankly, often in Fusion, I would go to something like TurboSquid where you can buy models online and I'd be like, I need a model of a bridge. And I'd go on TurboSquid and I'd find a model and I'd stick it in. But But if you want to build the models yourself, you can build them. And you can rig them. And rigging is like giving it the points where things can animate. So rigging is like going in and saying, okay, like I want the the mouth to move. How many points on the mouth move separately? That kind of thing. So all of that stuff is sort of doable in Blender. And then sort of has hooks to like connect it to other tool sets as well. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's, it's the creating of the asset tool really yes exactly when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply 
At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Our final topic this week, we have a great Ask Me Film School that is from Reddit, which is, for a short film, do I really need to incorporate an LLC? And the answer is, depends upon your budget and level of risk. So incorporating an LLC, if you're not in North America, this might have a bunch of other terms, but we're going to call LLC for the simplest, is a limited liability corporation, which is a corporation designed to limit your liability. Now it's limited. It's not a no liability corporation. If you form an LLC and then you go out and you shoot a short film that involves murdering five people, you will still have liability for that murder. Like an LLC does not protect you from like everything. I know. (laughs) Um, I really wanted to build a, uh, uh, I wanted to do the short film about a murder roller coaster that murdered everyone who got on it. I was going to cast a bunch of people that didn't know it was a murder coaster. And then I looked into LLC law and murder coaster was not covered. But um, I still think it's a great idea if somebody wants to go do it in a country without a lot of litigious actors who would sue over getting (laughs) murdered in the murder coaster. Point remains, why do you do an LLC for a short film? Well, there's always risk in every short film you do. And there's usually money spent on a short film. And an LLC will let you open a separate bank account. So this becomes important because like, if you're sending $50,000 on a short film, and let's say someone gives you that $50,000 for the short film, and you, you win it in a grant or you get it from a client or something. You want it in a separate bank account. You can do it out of your own personal bank account. Like what we say, like, oh, I can just run it out of my own account. But the problem with that is it gets really messy, right? Like, oh, I have it in my own bank account, which is also auto deducting my cell phone payment. So in the middle of like going through all the paperwork, I'm like, oh no, that cell phone payment, that doesn't belong to the short film. That's my personal. Oh, that lunch, like, like you want it in a separate bank account. So if you ever get audited, if you ever get like, anything like that. You want a separate bank account that those expenses are going through to make it much cleaner if you ever go through an audit process or just for your own bookkeeping and sanity. And an LLC will let you open a separate bank account. Now, you can also open just a separate checking account for it without an LLC and do it all through that. That's fine. But the LLC also offers you some protection. Like, let's say you actually accidentally defame a brand, right? Like the example that always comes up to my mind is Flight. Flight had Denzel Washington drinking Budweiser in the cockpit of a plane and then the plane crashed. And uh, Budweiser famously got very mad and they had to digitally erase all of the Budweiser bottles before the final home video release. So in the theater, we saw Budweiser. On home video, you do not see Budweiser on the bottles because Budweiser got pissed. Like that's a classic liability error. The reason I think you should, the way I think people should look at it, and I've done it with, I've done it without, is it's kind of like, maybe maybe you'll disagree with Charles or Kat, but I feel like it's kind of like driving without your seatbelt it can absolutely be fine. Like maybe nine times out of 10, it will be fine. But the 10th time, it would be really bad potentially. And I'm not saying this to minimize how dangerous driving without your seatbelt is. You should never do that. But shooting without be your short without being an LLC, it just opens you up to a lot of potential problems, many of which you will hopefully never have to deal with. So it's like, 
insurance, the concept of insurance. It's like any of these kinds of things where it's like extra steps that create a little bit of protection against the kinds of things that you hope you don't have to deal with. So a lot of times you'll just go out and you'll shoot and you'll hope for the best because you don't have the time, the resources, the whatever to take those extra steps. But the thing is like forming an LLC is actually really easy and it doesn't cost much. So it's one of the simpler ways to kind of help protect you a little bit. So I would always advise it. Then again, like maybe you're shooting something in your apartment by yourself. You probably don't need an LLC, right? Like, but I think that anytime you're going to start thinking, anytime the realistic possibilities of festivals or actors or a crew or hiring people, or once all that kind of comes into play, wouldn't you agree it makes sense? I mean, for me, there's always a budget threshold of like an LLC is going to cost you three to $500 setting it up in Delaware and one of those online companies or whatever. So I think it is worth doing if it's like, if your budget for your short is more than two or three grand, spend the money, get an LLC, protect yourself, do everything through the LLC, do it right. If you're doing a $400 short with your friends where the $400 is mostly going to a, a lot of squibs because you want a lot of blood packs... You know, you should pay for insurance because squibs can go wrong and people can get injured by squibs. But actually, you know, if you're doing a lot of squibs, let's say your $400 is entirely food. If you're like, I'm yeah, doing pizza. a... Expensive yeah, it's, pizza. It's, it's 400 <laughs> Well, you know, that's not that many pizzas anymore. Inflation. <laughs> I would say if it's an all pizza $400, you can run without the LLC. As soon as you get into anything where like, you know, in one of the scenes, they're going to jump off this bridge, but he's a diver. It's fine. <laughs> Get insurance and LLC and a stunt coordinator, please. You know, so it is, it really comes down to that, like the size of your production. Cause yeah, I mean, if it's you and your buddies hanging out in the backyard shooting on your iPhones, it's a different animal than when you're like, we're hiring a professional crew, we're hiring professional actors, we're hiring SAG. So it's just, it's a different what, animal. What do you think, Kath? I have not actually made an LLC before for any of my films, but I do know that it's like definitely best practice. I thought it was more expensive. I didn't realize it was only a couple hundred bucks. And if I'd known that, maybe I would have done it. <laughs> well, it but, depends um, upon where you're doing it and what you what you need it for. Right. To me, I like I confess I just sort of got overwhelmed by like the paperwork and I was like, I don't really know how to do this and so I'm not going to do it. But I did my I didn't feel like my film was very high risk. We didn't have any like stunts or anyone putting themselves in danger. But we did make a separate checking account just for bookkeeping purposes because like, I've been in that situation where I'm like, is that my rent money or is that the money for the movie? So we did that. I also like, for my, any like contractor work that I do as a freelancer by myself, whether it's like as a producer, director, editor, whatever, I, I just have an S corp. Wait a minute. Yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. I am a sole proprietor. <laughs> Sorry. I get confused. Oh, I there's established- a DB. There's, yeah, there's other little ways to create a little bit of separation. Yeah. Right? You can do DBA and other things. Yeah. Like so, like, I came up with a DBA. I came up, I got a, a business number from, God, I sound really dumb right now. <laughs> I have an official business number, EIN, from the IRS. I get paid as a sole proprietor. It does not limit my liability. So really, I think my, my understanding of like why an LLC is advantageous is like, if, you know, God forbid there's an accident on set, someone sues you. 
if you have an LLC, they can only sue you for the amount of that that LLC, the the value of that LLC. Versus if you don't have an LLC, they can sue you for like everything you have in your own personal assets. Is that right? It's it, theoretically yes, it, not actually. So it depends upon what your job position is was on the projects. You can you know lawsuits can go through an LLC to the members of an LLC. Like if you own an, uh, an LLC, you're a member of an LLC. And so like it is possible to go through the LLC and go after the assets of the owners of an LLC, depending upon a whole bunch of different situations. In fact, when I partnered with someone once, he was married to a rich lady and she, he had to do a post-nup to protect his assets because she was like, well, if you're going to join this LLC, technically, if, if things went horribly wrong, they could sue through the LLC to you, to my assets, because we are married. And so they did a post-nup, which, you know, one of them things rich people do. I don't, you know, I don't know normal people who've done it, but rich people do. So, however, it makes it harder. And so it, it is all about adding layers of complication to the process to give it an LLC. It, it doesn't mean that you could never be liable in any way, shape, or form, but it makes it more like for most small stuff, if there is no criminal negligence, if it's just an accident, then yes, it, like most lawyers will stop it just going after the LLC. However, if there's like, if there's a reason to, they can go after deeper levels and go after the owners in LLC. It does expose you to some liability from your partner's actions to be in an LLC with people. Mm. All right. So that's everything you need to know about LLCs from two people who've done them and one person who felt like she should, but chose not to and got away <laughs> with it. So sometimes like driving without your seatbelt, you can sneak through. I'm Charles Hain. I'm on the internet at charleshain.com, H-A-I-N-E. You can always go to Amazon and watch my feature film, Angel's Perch, my web series, Salty Pirate. If you like it, give it five stars. If you didn't like it, don't say anything. You can just keep that opinion to yourself on Amazon because it's all about the algorithm. And I don't need that negativity up in here. Thank you. I'm Kath Tolentino, a filmmaker. You can find my production company on Instagram at borderwoman.pictures. I also program for Salute Your Shorts Film Festival, which is coming up soon. Ooh, I wish I had dates, but if you're in LA, look it up, Salute Your Shorts Film Festival. It's going to be awesome. I'm George Edelman, Editor-in-Chief at No Film School. Thanks for listening. I really want you all to check out our interviews also on this podcast that I did with M. Night Shyamalan for Old and with Todd McCarthy and his writing partners on Stillwater. They, I'm so grateful that they all the, the, these filmmakers gave us their time, but I really enjoyed listening to them. These are interesting movies about interesting ideas and worth our attention and study. And surely you should check them out in theaters as well. Please head over to nofilmschool.com, read about all these stories and more. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, where we have an amazing video about night shoots that Charles directed and created and is awesome. Thanks so much.